Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, it's time to run and drive with the Game Changers. And this is where the best run. This is season six of one of our longest running series. Happy to be here. By the way, this series used to be called The Future of Cars with Game Changers, in case it sounds familiar. We upscaled it from cars to mobility and added manufacturing. So let's see what the buzz on the street is today. The buzz, I have an article from automotiveworld.com. That gives you an idea where we're going with this. So let me read. Despite the gloom, the auto industry is far from stagnant. The next decade will be one of its biggest yet. 2020, the year we all want to forget, gave automakers the opportunity to reposition themselves as they emerge from the crisis on a new path toward electrification and connectivity. 2021 will see a continuation of trends that have been bubbling even before COVID. Oh my, there's so much packed in that quote. Let me tell you a little bit more about our topic today. Automotive suppliers, as we know, were severely tested in 2020. They scrambled to pivot. They wanted to stay agile. Why? They needed to deal with the fallout of the global pandemic. We're talking lockdowns. We're talking severely disrupted and even stopped supply chains. We're talking about workers going remote. Who was left to run whatever it was? Was it safe? Did people want to be there anymore? Now here we are. We are live. It is March 30th. Oh my, 2021. We're in the spring and it's good news. Suppliers can leverage this disruption to emerge stronger and better capable of tackling the accelerating trends of autonomous driving. Oh, I don't know if there's an autonomous car in my future. There'll still be keys. And electrification, which I mentioned before, that confront mobility providers. How will supplier companies that survive 2020, how will they perform in 2021? How can they operate profitably and drive new growth? And there's that drive word. I have two specialists, two experts, two very knowledgeable people on this topic with me today. We have Marcus Scherbaum. He spells his last name S-C-H-E-R-B-A-U-M. He's a Cap Gemini, wonderful partner at SAP. And we have Rich Lindau at SAP. Hasn't been on with me for a couple months. Happy to see you back. Our topic today is Rise Better, How Automotive Suppliers Can Thrive Post-Pandemic. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, as the man said at the beginning, happy to be here. Uh, you aren't seeing us live, but we are on Zoom right now, and I have the pleasure of watching Marcus and watching Rich think live with me on the show here, but you're hearing their voices live on the business channel at Voice America. So here we are. Uh, Let's get started. Marcus, we're happy to have you here. Would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself to our audience? Thank you, Barney. Uh, Happy to be here. Um, Well, yeah, I've I've been born and raised in in Southern Germany. So my my passion for cars is uh, kind of part of my DNA. Um, uh, after having graduated in, in IT sciences and economics, I have started my professional career working for a uh, German OEM, um, then another IT services company um, before joining Capgemini. In uh, more than 20 years, I, I have supported many manufacturers, suppliers, and, and, and I think even a couple of uh, retailers uh, in their transformation, digital transformation. 
Um, I've been starting as a, as a consultant, later a project manager and sales executive. And uh, three years ago, I've uh, taken over uh, the, our joint order cloud initiative uh, with SAP as a global program director, and that's what I'm currently doing. And what, I, what is really thrilling me about automotive is um, the transformation this industry has, uh, has gone through uh, in those 20 years. Um, pretty much completely enabled um, by, by the progress uh, technology IT has made. Um, and this rides is still getting faster and faster um, with a, a global pandemic now, obviously, even accelerating it uh, once more. Um, oh, well, these are exciting times in this, in this industry. That's why I'm here. Uh, thanks for having me. Thank you very much, Marcus. It's a pleasure to meet you. And this is an exciting topic. It's, it's a time when, well, I remember I do a show called uh, Automotive Insiders with OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. And I remember their CEO saying six months ago, eight months ago, that the manufacturing, automotive manufacturing in the U.S. had come to a complete halt for, what, six to eight weeks. Uh, it was something that was absolutely unheard of. And here we are talking about emerging. We're talking about thriving supply chains again. We're talking about suppliers keeping in business and thriving in business. And it's a time of unprecedented, I'm going to use the word excitement. Am I right, Marcus? It's a time of excitement and the opportunities to keep going, but to do it better. So we're really glad you're here. And let's turn to Rich Lindau. Rich, we haven't seen each other in about six months. So I'm very happy that, and shout out to Ashwin Manapali at SAP, who's here in the background for organizing this episode, and to Judy Cubis, his co-sponsor. Rich Lindau, in case there were, let me see, it's been about six months, I'm doing my calculations, in case there were 8.3 people in the world who don't remember you, talk to them and remind them who you are. Rich Lindau, welcome back. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for having me back, Bonnie. Really appreciate it, and uh, awesome to be here with you and, and Marcus to discuss, you know, this, this amazing and, and fast-changing environment we're in. A little background on myself. So uh, I grew up uh, the son of two, two people who worked in a machine shop and, uh, and pouring molds in, in, automotive, you know, in an automotive supplying plant. So uh, I, I guess you could say it's in my DNA, uh, automotive and manufacturing. Um, you know, went to, went to school to focus on, you know, what was management information systems at the time. Oh my. Uh, but, but yeah, but as soon as I uh, got into the, the working world, I started as a consultant right here in, in automotive and manufacturing and in the Metro Detroit area. So boy, it, it came back to me quickly. Um, spent 10 years doing a, a consulting gig all around the world. I got to go to, to Europe and um, Mexico and, and all sorts of exciting and interesting places. Uh, and then recently, as as recent as uh, about three years ago, I joined SAP. And I'll tell you what's what's really unique is some of the the awesome and innovative customers that I'm getting to work with lately. Uh, the the new entrants into the market, the EV customers, uh, we're in for a rapid change here. Uh, and the pandemic has sort of given given the keys, uh, if you want to say, to some of these companies to be able to take the reins off and, and run and go full speed. So I, I think we're right on the, the cusp of the real big change that, that we're going to see. Thank you very much. I wasn't aware of you being a Detroit, a son of Detroit. I didn't realize that. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Wow. So you've, you've seen a lot, right? Firsthand from your own life, you've seen a lot of changes. Yeah, I, I worked as, as a 17-year-old. I worked as the cleanup boy in, in manufacturing facilities, putting down 
uh, oil dry and, and all sorts of things. So it's come full circle. You walk into a manufacturing plant today, boy, does it look different. Totally different. It's, it's uh, a really interesting uh, dichotomy. Yes, and and uh, sidebar here, uh, you mentioned MIS. Is that, that's what they used to, or IMS, right? Information uh, man- management. Yeah. Inform- man- information management systems. Yes, I just found out recently, Rich and Marcus, that I was, I am an early woman in tech because I was a programmer analyst back in the days of key punching, and this was before. I was a, I wrote code, but this was before Honeywell bought Xerox. So I worked on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 mainframe computer coding in COBOL and punching in my code on cards, 80-column Hollerith cards and carrying around a box with a deck of cards. And then I moved to the IBM 4341 and programmed in PL1. And so when you mentioned MIS and IMS, I remember all the old nomenclature. I didn't know I was that early. Apparently, I was. Somebody told me. So when when I hear those words, it brings back so much. And, and of course, we all remember. Marcus, what was your first car? I'm sorry. I'm off topic here a little bit. But do you remember your first car, Marcus? Yeah. Volkswagen Golf, so it's uh, yeah one of one of those uh, really a lot of horsepower, uh, small <laughs> car with a lot of horsepower, a wide one. I re- I, I remember very good because I, it, it took me just one week to crash it the first time, so it was. Um, <laughs> This show just turned into True Confessions with Game Changers, Marcus. I want you to know. Ash, Ashwin, I want you to know we've just changed. Rich, what was your first car? Uh, 1990 Buick Skylark. It was like a, a little tank. Ooh, I, I drove my mom's Buick when I first started, but I won't tell you the year I was driving and the year of the car. We'll just leave that one out of the, the red car. Spe- red hair speaks volumes. Yes, and I did have a red car along the way. Let's move on. I'm getting myself admired here. We're getting stuck. Marcus has sent us a quote. I've asked if you're new to the show as listeners, I want you to know I ask my guests in advance to send me a quote from a movie, a song, or a TV show that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And I've asked them in their own words to come on the air today and tell us what they think it has to do with the topic. So Marcus Sherbaum has sent us a quote from Master Yoda in Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. That movie goes back to 1981. Yoda legendary Jedi master, stronger than most in his connection with the force, small in size, but wise and powerful. He trained Jedi for over 800 years, playing integral roles in the clone wars, the instruction of Luke Skywalker and unlocking the path to immortality. Oh my, that's from the star Wars data bank. Here's the quote. We love this one, Marcus do or do not. There is no try. Oh, I get I get chills when I hear that quote. Marcus, I'm putting you on full speaker view. Uh, somebody will see this video eventually. So, Marcus, tell us, how did you pick the quote? What does it have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Well, how did, how did I pick it? Let, let me, maybe let me start with that. Um, I, uh, my, my, one of my last engagements here at Capgemini was to, to set up um, a, an automotive innovation lab here in Stuttgart. And um, I, um, op- before opening, I, I thought about what could you put to the walls. And, one of, and I, I chose some quotes. And one of, one of those quotes was, was this one. Um, and that's why um, it directly came to my mind um, when, I, when, I, when you asked me about um, yeah, submitting a quote because um, I yeah. First of all, great Yoda voice. <laughs> no, it was uh, <laughs> as you might expect. Uh, I'm a big Star Wars fan since my early days. So um, yeah, this sentence um, this sentence has been said by by, by Yoda um, during uh, during his 
Luke's, Luke Skywalker's Jedi training, um, when when Luke has been, or we gave him a, a task, a, 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 um, a, a challenge which Luke considered almost as impossible, um, but as his master has told him, he, he said he would try to do it. Um, and that's when Yoda said, do or do not, there is no try. And um, the message Yoda wants to give is uh, very good, also matching for, for, for these days in automotive. To be successful in something, you need to be convinced. Um, yeah. If you do it just because others expecting you to do it, if you just do enough to, to have tried, um, you will fail. Um, but if you really believe in, in, in what is behind, if you really believe in the possibilities behind of something, in this case, my case, the digital transformation and the transformation this, uh, this automotive industry is, under, is, is undergoing at the moment, you can become a master. Uh, that's no, it's not sure, but you can become a master. Um, and and I currently I see too many companies um, here in Europe which which think that giving digitalization a try, um, just picking some some easy elements uh, because everybody is expecting it is 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 enough. And I think a lot of them will disappear from the market in, in the years to come. Um, but I also see a lot of players in the market, and this is the good the good message: new ones and traditional ones emerging uh, on top of those new possibilities. There, for me, there's no question um, if a company will transform into di digital. That's a given. Every company will have to. Um, no one will, will survive without doing it. Um, they are preparing for these challenges um, to some extent, but most still seem to lack um, the courage to, for, it, for radical change. Um, but yeah, the successful ones will do it. They will actively renew themselves constantly and shape their future, and uh, they will have no doubts and, uh, yeah, no try. Thank you very much. Marcus, these are words to live by. If somebody say, says to you, I'll try, you have to think of Master Yoda's words. Yeah. Either do it or don't. It's a light switch. It's on or it's off. There's no in the middle. I, I learned digital math, uh, binary math in, in what used to be called junior high school, middle school. And it's a one or it's a zero. There's nothing in between. You either do or you don't. I'll try means I don't know or I'm not ready. But if you do nothing... It's the zero, right? That's a decision. And very important, by the way, you mentioned the voice, the, the Jedi voice, uh, the Yoda voice. In The Empire Strikes Back, Yoda was voiced and puppeteered by Frank Oz, and he reprised the role in The Return of the Jedi, which was the prequel trilogy. So just wanted you to know that that's in mind. I do my homework, Marcus. Let's <laughs> co coach, sometimes ad nauseum, but I do my homework. Rich Lindau has sent us a quote, a very long quote from... Rocky, played by Sylvester Stallone and Rocky Balboa. His ring name was the Italian Stallion, fictional title character of the Rocky film series. And the character was created by Sylvester Stallone, who portrayed him in all eight films of the franchise. Working class or a poor Italian-American from the slums of Philadelphia who started out as a club fighter and an enforcer for a local loan shark and was successful as a fighter. Here's here. Do you want to do the in the lingo or, or in the voice of uh, Stallone? Rich, do you want to do the quote or you want me to? Oh, oh we definitely don't want me doing that. All right, no. I'll try it. <laughs> you, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Oh, my God. Did I just do that? 
<laughs> I think I'm on the streets of Philadelphia right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from New York and I never talk like that. Rescue me, Richland out, take it away. Talk to me. How'd you pick this and what are we talking about? <laughs> well, yeah. First I, I love the the movies and the motivation that Rocky gives. I mean, just in, in life, uh, and where, where Sylvester Stallone came from as a person, I think is is real a really interesting story. But if we look at the actual quote in the words. I think it relates to how automotive suppliers are having to deal with day-to-day activities. They're, they're, obviously, they got hit by the pandemic. Yeah. That Everyone got hit by the pandemic. But they're continuing to get hit by these, these trickle-down effects of the pandemic that I think we'll touch on a little bit later in the conversation. So to me, if you, if you look at how you know, winning is done, whether you're a company or a person or a fighter or, or, or in sports, it's how well you can react to change. How can you adapt? How can you adopt? And how do you keep pushing? That's, I think, the, the key to success for companies today is keep pushing, keep innovating, keep figuring out a way to outthink and outwork your competition. That's how you'll be successful. And, you know, that's, quote unquote, how winning is done. Thank you very much. And you didn't even have to do a pretend accent to say oh. that. That's how winning. How did I do, Rich? Was that scary? Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. I thought I was in the ring. <laughs> I'm sorry. You almost stopped the show there. Okay. Thank you both for the, the great quotes. I appreciate it. They're both iconic and they're both well-known and they're both obviously very applicable to our topic. If you're just tuning in, by the way, we are having a lot of fun, but this is a very serious topic. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. And my very special guests today are Marcus Sherbaum at Capgemini and Rich Lindau at SAP. And a shout out to Aswin Manapali, who is in the background, who helped organize the show. And, and uh, Ruth, Ruth Peters is with us. She's also in the background from Cap. So we've just done your bios. We've done the opening quotes. And now we're going to buckle down. I love the those driving metaphors. Buckle down, buckle in, and we're going to go to the roundtable where my guests Marcus and Rich have sent me a whole bunch of statements, actually six each. I appreciate that on what we're going to be talking about today. So I will pick one statement first, Marcus, from you. We'll go with statement number one. I'll read a little bit because you were very kind and sent lots of details and ask you to unpack it like they say on the news, Marcus. I'll put you when you're talking on speaker view as I've been doing so everybody can, when they see the video, they'll see you. And then I'm going to ask Rich to agree or disagree with Marcus. And Rich, this is your opportunity for thought leadership. It's not a yes or no. We want to know what you really think. And don't be afraid to disagree with Marcus. He looks like a very nice person. And then if Rich says something provocative, I'll go back to Marcus and let you respond back to Rich. Otherwise, Rich, I will select a statement from you and you'll unpack it and then we'll have Marcus respond. So let's get started. Marcus, statement number one, I'm just going to read the first two lines. The pandemic has raised the time pressure on the suppliers. Companies have been acting in a challenging environment long before COVID. Marcus, talk to me. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. Yeah, um, well, at the moment, I think a lot of things are everything is around the pandemics. That, that's, um, well, nobody's talking something else um, at, at this time. But um, it, this is also such, well, giving the impression that everything in the in the automotive suppliers industry is, is just caused by COVID. That's not the case from my point of view. Um, well, this is, um, well, suppliers had to 
had some challenges and um, and, and, and they have been struggling long before COVID or long before COVID, already before COVID. A year before was already already very, very, very tough for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and COVID, well, COVID did not cause the problems or the issues they, they have been facing um, during the pandemics. It has, it has just, um, well, as I said, it has put additional time pressure on, on them. So now, now they what, what they where they thought they would have some well ten years or a decade to to uh, to change to to go into transformation, they now have realized that well in the next three to five years everything might be over if you if you do not um, move right now. So, um, so companies have to to speed up their digital transformation um, right now because of that uh, of that pandemic. Yeah. Well, I think. Um, yeah, maybe maybe one example for for this topic during the pandemics. Um, you, um, they have they have simply realized that they are not fully in control of that supply chains during the pandemic. Yeah, that's this is this is nothing which is new. They they, mm-hmm. they have been there before, but um, during the pandemic, they realized that it is a real issue right now. And if you if if they don't um, mm-hmm. well, if they don't improve there, there might be no second no second opportunity to do it. There you go. Thank you very much. Good insights. Rich Lindau, join me. What do you think? Agree or disagree? Uh, uh, no disagreement for me there. I mean, you know what, you know, just to build off what, what Marcus said, it's like somebody put, took a magnifying glass to the problems in the industry. And that, that's, what, that's what the pandemic was or, or is. Um, you know, little problems that they could manage via people or time. Uh, they could throw things throw resources at it. Those resources aren't all in one place all of a sudden. Those teams have to work virtually. While working virtually is great, sometimes it's not as efficient. So the, the challenges were, were definitely magnified uh, by, you know, just, just stresses that are, that are in our environment today. Thank you, Rich. Good topic. Marcus, anything you want to add before I move on? You good? No, I'm good. Thank you. Okay. I have a provocative first statement from Rich Lindau, which says, while obviously COVID had a direct impact on the automotive industry and volumes fell, we are just now starting to feel some of the other impacts we could not predict. I don't want to read the next statement, which is a surprise, Rich. So I'm going to let you do it and and share that with us. I'm putting you on speaker view. Go ahead, Rich. Yeah. I mean, everyone got hit by the pandemic, right? Every industry is feeling it. Some some are some industries are actually thriving in it, and, but but if we look at the automotive industry, it it took a, a serious hit, um, which everyone expected as, as things started. But I think now what we're seeing is some of these trickle down effects and trickle down impacts that we didn't really predict. I mean, mm-hmm. so as as automotive volumes were falling, you know, globally, because as you mentioned, Bonnie, things were shut down for six to eight weeks completely, uh, the forecasts that automotive suppliers were getting and then sending to microchip suppliers uh, dropped off. I mean, they they just didn't need parts for six to eight weeks. Well, those plants were still operational in some sense, and they had demands coming from other industries. So whether it was the gaming industry or the Bitcoin mining industry, they Mm -hmm. picked up all of that capacity to build chips that are relevant for their industry. Mm. And, and that's what we're seeing now today is a microchip shortage, you know, obviously due to constraints around getting uh, components from point A to point B, but ultimately the capacity that was there and reserved for these companies just simply gone. Um, 
it's, it's, it's crazy. And, and then, you know, just to build on that, we had a huge problem in the, the Southern part of the U S with, with that cold weather that hit and, and took a big mm-hmm. hit to the petrochemical industry. Well, how do you build foam for seats? You use petrochemicals. That entire industry was shut down for uh, you know a few a few days, a week, two weeks, and now all of a sudden we have a shortage of foam to go into seats. Automotive suppliers before just simply couldn't manage that a little bit better, but when they're dealing with two or three or four you know quote unquote crises at a time, it really stresses and strains their their environment, their workers and their business processes. Very interesting. Would never have imagined, wouldn't have thought about the, the yes, about the chips going somewhere else and about the foam, not bringing in the idea of weather. We don't, all we know is I want my car, right? I want it now. Why can't I get the color I want? Why can't I get it when I ordered it? Why yeah. can't I get my computer? I had to wait six weeks for a new iMac during the pandemic in the beginning. Uh, the supply chains were interrupted everywhere, but very interesting in cars. Rich, thank you for that. Very provocative. Marcus, would you like to respond, agree or disagree with Rich? Go ahead. You're up. Well, first of all, yeah, you're, you're completely right, Rich. I, I think that is, um, uh, that is a very interesting part of this, um, of, of, of one, of the, one of the things under the magnifying glass uh, of this pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, maybe let me add something. I think this is um, even, even showing the, that, well, the transformation those suppliers are undergoing, it's, it's not, this is just the beginning. So um, thinking about chips and, and, and not being available, this is just one part, but what about in the future? What about electric power? What about raw materials for, for batteries? What about even things like, um, well, software engineers um, required for, for new components with, with software, not only hardware, is, is there, an, is there, are they available um, in, in, in the, um, in the time when when suppliers need them, I think that is that is a re- really interesting thing to um, to consider for the future. As as um, well, until now, uh, suppliers have mainly thought about uh, metal and rubber, uh, what they need for their cars and, and and or for their for their materials, and not for not about the new technologies where they're competing with totally different um, industries. Interesting yeah. point, Rich. Thank you, Rich. Anything you want to say back to add to that? No, I think it's I think it's a great point. I mean, I was just doing a little research for for a different topic this week, and I came across what was a, a pretty staggering number. And um, if we look at what the future of automotive revenue looks like uh, by 2030, software is going to be two trillion dollars of a 4.5 trillion dollar industry. Hmm. So, to to Marcus's point, software engineers are a currency for automotive companies and automotive suppliers. We're competing against some of the biggest, most innovative and forward-thinking companies in the world. Mm-hmm. And we need to be able to position, you know, if I'm speaking as the industry as a whole, the automotive industry needs to be able to position itself as a forward-looking industry who's attractive mm-hmm. to talent and, and who can bring and really make a difference in the world. Interesting. So we're talking about talent wars across industries, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, Definitely. so there's no such thing as I just work in this industry. I'm in this 
silo of what my job is. If you're a software engineer, a data scientist, perhaps you could be anywhere doing anything. What do they say? If you can sell, if if you can sell aluminum siding, you can sell cars, you can sell toasters, you can. So people with the skills to do a particular thing like software engineer could be lured into, shall we say, or encouraged to go into autumn. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Rich. Very interesting topic. Marcus, I'm moving on to your statement number two, and I'm just going to read the first Ooh, two sentences. Very interesting, provocative, and then you can take it from there. You say, cloud is the one to rule them all. The next generation of digital engineering and manufacturing will build on technologies like AI, artificial intelligence, cloud, and IoT, the Internet of Things, to create a data and software-driven intelligent industry. Wow, is that packed with buzzwords there, Marcus. Unpack it for us. I love it. I love it. That, yeah, that's yeah. a whole show of topics right in that two sentences. Go ahead, I Marcus. I know, I know, I know. So, so first of all, uh, yeah, forgive me that, that again, going love to it. With, a, with a Lord of the Rings, but it uh, came directly to, to my mind when I, when I thought about it. Um, so, yeah, what I, what I thought about is, um, well, to adapt um, to this new environment, OEMs and, and suppliers, um, they, as we already said, they will become more like technology companies. Yeah, we. I think both SAP and Capgemini, we are, we are, uh, or at, at least uh, here in Germany, we are facing with a uh, with this this war for talents uh, the whole day because now now people we we traditionally have have been hiring now going to going to to BMW or to Mercedes yeah because they are, they are now being technology companies. Um, if if you want to do that, then getting or be becoming masters for for those key enablers um technology driven key enablers like well digital twins um automation uh, 5g this is critical and crucial for them um and um that's where i don't know if there are seven rings or about a couple of different technologies come into the game the ai blockchain iot big data cloud and and, and more of them and um well a lot of uh, all these these traditional supplier companies they they cannot they cannot build up the knowledge of for all, of all these technologies and ever always becoming more and more of them um, they cannot create that knowledge all uh, um, for themselves so that is where cloud comes into the game and that's why I'm saying cloud is the one mm-hmm. which will enable them to do that because um, going for a cloud a strategy will will make them will give them the e- easier access to this new to these new technologies yeah with, with cloud-based infrastructure they can um, they can easily well get new functionality including AI, blockchain, IoT. They do not here have all the knowledge on, on their side. They can, um, they, they, they become more flexible. And of course, in the future, they can, they can easily benefit from, from future technologies. Yeah. For, here in Germany, I, I also did a bit of a research on, on recently on, on cloud. And here in Germany, um, 71% of the companies um, are considering cloud as the top priority of their CEO, not, not, mm. not, not, not the IT guys, the CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and another very interesting number, which we, um, on, on, on the format research center in Capgemini, we always track is that is the share of companies which would not consider cloud for critical business processes. 
Mm. And this number is going down and down and down over the last couple of years. Um, from 20, 2020 to 2021, this number went down from 41% to 34%. So we are down to almost a third of the companies. And this is in, 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 this, in the European market, you know, it's very traditional. It's not comparable to the North American market and North American market. A lot of very traditional companies. And a couple of years ago, I remember that most of them have been saying, well, cloud, no, I would never go into cloud. Cloud is, I, I want to have my PC in, in my basement and with a, with a locked door and nothing would come there. Uh, mm -hmm. That has completely changed. Thank you. Very interesting. Rich, join us. Thoughts? Agree? Disagree? Where are you? Uh, nothing to, to disagree with there. I mean, that, you know, traditionally, if you look at suppliers and you look at the way they make money, their margins are very thin. And, you know, going forward, maybe those margins open up a little bit because of the types of components they're going to supply. But the point is, they don't have huge budgets to hire extremely expensive experts to do some of these things. Mm -hmm. They rely on standardized business processes. And when it comes to the cloud, they can subscribe to some of these technologies, as well as the people behind those technologies to help enable them. That's how they can leverage cloud to, to accelerate their business and use things like artificial intelligence to, to take some of the, I guess, day-to-day -day process intensive types of things mm -hmm. off of the plates of the end users, put them in a system and, and get, you know, turn data into information. That, that's how they can leverage these types of technologies. And, uh, you know, those stats for Marcus, is, that's amazing. I mean, if you look at, even five years ago, no one would think I'm going to offload my all my FI infrastructure to the cloud. No way. Now everyone's like, how can I get this out of my data center into someone else's as fast as possible? Just cost um, on many levels. And yeah, it's, it's a great trend to see. Great trend to see. Thank you very much. I'm glad you brought cloud up and all of those wonderful other, we used to call them new technologies, Marcus. Is machine learning, is it still new? Is AI still new? Is IoT still new? Or are they still disruptive? Maybe that's the distinction. What do you think? Let me just do a little sidebar here. Marcus, are these technologies new or disruptive? What do you think? Well, I don't want to get to, uh, well, uh, you Okay, we can pass on track, that. But I think I, I think I think they are technologies are never disruptive. Technology, the way you use technology is just is disruptive. So good. that's good. Uh, long topic. Different good, topic. good distinction. To, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Rich, you want to weigh on on that quickly? What do you think? I, I think if you look at the industry that is behind other industries, mm -hmm. it's it's disrupting them because they don't necessarily know how to use it, uh, okay. but they see that the benefit could be there. So figuring out how they can actually leverage the technologies mm -hmm. is going to be, that's where we're at. I, I feel we're trying to figure out how we can use these technologies in our industry to be able to accelerate timelines and, and grow revenues. Thank you. Good answers. Both rich. I'm moving on. Statement number two, global automotive suppliers are emerging from the pandemic in very different realities. You can explain that. Here's the word I want you to focus on diversification within the industry is leading to better outcomes and more profitable business and profit is where we are all trying to drive with this conversation about suppliers. Rich, talk to us. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the time of the year when for the most part, most publicly traded companies have, have you know, publicly made their, their earnings and, and how they did not only in the, the fourth quarter of 2020, but for the whole year. So it's interesting to open up some of these filings and, and take a look. Maybe I'm just a a bit nerdy when it comes to that, but, um, you know, 
just looking at a couple examples, there's there's a, a global supplier who, you know, over last year, 10% of their, their revenue is just gone, completely gone. But if you dig deep and look, in the fourth quarter, revenues in China increased almost 5%. Uh, another example, um, the company's down 424 million euro on the year. But look at the second half of their business, their e-mobility business doubled. And, and looking at a company here in North America, uh, revenues overall in decline, but you know, actually the, the second half up 5%. Where were they up? Well, 10% of that was from components for advanced driver systems uh, and, and autonomous vehicles. So if we sort of dissect that a little bit, the traditional automotive components that we're seeing, they didn't rebound very well. Those internal combustion engine components are, are a drag on the bottom line of some of these companies. But those companies who are, who are innovating and taking on that next generation of, of what automotive looks like, the, the money's there. The, the business is coming in and it's picking up. And, and we're sort of in not only a pandemic, but we're in that shift where uh, companies are starting to realize it's more advantageous for me to provide a high value uh, asset, even if it's at a lower volume than it is maybe to provide those traditional components over and over and over again, because there's, there's a lot that comes with it, a lot of support, a lot of maintenance, uh, a lot of uh, underlying cost, maybe that's traditionally you just accepted as you were in the industry. But today, as you pivot, because you're going to have to pivot, or as Marcus said, you won't exist, uh, you need to think about things a little bit differently. Thank you. Interesting. Marcus, join us. What do you think? Diversification. Yeah, very interesting thought. So the first, um, when I first heard it, I, I, I did not really understand what he wanted to say, but but now and I got it. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, yeah, agreed. I think it's it's a bit like uh, what we've discussed before. Um, that, that 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 well, it's it's just speeding up the whole the whole thing and and then putting pressure on 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 them on the suppliers to um, well. To transform now to, to find new ways to react uh, to well to to well the decline of business and some of the, and some of the things they have been doing in the past and and, and now now it's um, well some somewhere else and and maybe in in some in some cases uh, the solution is well it's just is as automatically there yeah as you said um, some some parts of their business are on decline are on decline and they will maybe not recover again um, then the way is the way forward is is, is as clear. So, yeah, I think absolutely it's um, uh, agreed. Thank you very much. Rich, anything you want to add before I move on? No, I, good? I, I think we nailed it. Okay, good. I think we did too. Marcus, I'm looking at your statement number three, and you introduce an interesting concept. We talk a little bit about workforce already, the war for talent, people should we, do we want to, will we come back to the physical on-site building setting where we used to work or will we, we be able to keep our job in some way and work remotely? All of those, the health and safety of workers, can can industrialists, manu- can they mandate vaccines? How do they get their workforce back in safely? PPs, there's so much to talk about, but you brought up an interesting comment in your statement number three, Marcus. You say the cultural change is even more important than the technological one. Successful companies beyond the technology aspect focus on developing and transforming their workforce. So let's talk about this impact on suppliers of the culture change. Marcus, you're up. 
Yeah, thank you, Bonnie. Um, yeah, what I, what I mean with that is, um, well, technology, technological transformation or technology-driven transformation is um, has the main characteristic of that is that it's really fast and, and innovation cycles are getting shorter and shorter with yeah, everywhere. And, and this is not only a, this is not a recent development, it's uh, there for, for decades. Um, and in this dynamic environment, um, suppliers need to constantly find new ways to uh, to operate, and uh, they need to. Well, we we say they need to renew themselves uh, constantly, um, and and this can only be achieved um, with with people having an, an agile and an innovative mindset. Well, you cannot you cannot master the digital transformation with an analog binary workforce. That's that's impossible. You need you need you also need an agile workforce and. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why um, uh, more companies need to think about how they want to change their, their mindset and their organization, how, how they want to transform their workforce. Um, and, and I think successful companies, um, just beside that technological aspect, it's, of course it's there, um, they, they focus on developing and transforming their workforce. Um, and, and maybe to some extent, this is this is already happening, yeah. So, so uh, a lot of companies in the supplier space, they um, they have well workforces with. Uh, well, I, I know companies where fifty percent of their workforce um, will will retire in the next well ten years or, or mm -hmm. so. So um, this will mean that that until that time, millennials will will already dominate the workforce and in, in those companies. And the new generation CEOs will will be entering, um, and this will change the way of work and the way they work um, and the way they handle innovation and they they drive new um, new business models yeah that's why what I mean with that statement thank you very much rich what do you think agree disagree on the culture plus technology aspect rich Lindeff yeah, I mean, the, the days of you walking out to the, the shop floor and seeing the guy who's worked there for 45 years still running the same machine that's <laughs> 60 years old, those days are, are quickly coming to an end. Uh, you know, I think we're, we're so, we have something like five generations of in the workforce right now. Mm -hmm. And within the next, you know, 10 years, that's going to be down to three. Well, those three generations are, are the people who expect – much different things from their work environment. They expect applications, they expect uh, data at their fingertips. They're, they're used to that next generation. They, they have an iPhone, you know, all of those things that we, we hear and talk about. Uh, they, they just, they have expectations. Uh, not only do they have expectations of the software and the, the things they use on a day-to-day -day basis, they also have expectations of how they can impact the company they work for. So they don't want to be these key punchers anymore, right? They don't want to be doing data intensive activities. They want to be key players. They want to be making decisions to help move that company forward, even if it's in their own division. Th that to me is exactly what Marcus is hitting on is that transformation of the mindset of you need to empower your employees to, to make change and, and push the business uh, from maybe from the ground up instead of the top down is, is something that we, we're going to see uh, really impact this space. Thank you very much, Rich. Marcus, anything you want to say back to Rich? We good? Well, the discussion is not too controversial at the moment. <laughs> no, no, I absolutely <laughs> agreed with Rich. <laughs> that's, that's all good. Rich, I'm going to statement number five, taking these a little bit out of order. You say automotive OEMs are pulling forward their plans for all electric offerings 
all over the globe. And it's interesting you said that, not just the focus on North America. And then you say suppliers must adjust to these new timelines while still supplying traditional internal combustion components. So let's talk about the cars themselves. Rich, what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I was just reading some headlines this morning. Uh, and there's there's a rumor floating around that that the traditional company of Volkswagen is going to rename their electric vehicle division Volkswagen. Volkswagen. <laughs> not, that's not a joke. You're going to look that up in the news later and you're going to go, wow. Well, you know, well, you know, in Germany, there's still this classing if, it's, if it is a joke. <laughs> yeah, I, well, really? I, yeah. But it, what, the point there is it shows you exactly how serious they are about their, their strategy here, right? Because they're, <laughs> they're rebranding themselves in a sense. Yeah. And yeah, Volkswagen itself is never going to go away and become Volkswagen, if you want to call it that. But uh, they're, they're really serious. I mean, if you look at the, the guidance they're putting out of like by 2030, 70% of the vehicles in, in Europe are going to be uh, EVs, you know, 50% in the US and China, uh, you know, Volvo's going to be 100% electric by 2030, GM by 2035. These timelines did not exist like this before the pandemic, at least not publicly, right? We knew that these companies were going to push, but it's given them a reason to accelerate their timelines. And automotive suppliers are now going, whoa, 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 wait a second. I thought you said we had a while before you were going to hit us with, with the big impact. Uh, I mean, if we look at how suppliers are trying to react to that, um, there's a large powertrain company, a global powertrain company that today in, in 2020, 3% of their revenues were, were EV related in some way, shape, or form. But by 2030, that's going to be over 50%. I mean, that is a absolute 100% pivot. And if you know anything about development timelines in automotive, you say 2030, well, those timelines are now. They're, they're two mm-hmm. years out that these companies need to be effectively manufacturing these products for testing and, and long-term durability. So what was a seven-year road is now a two- or three-year road in the middle of a global pandemic. It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty astonishing. And probably a little bit scary as well, right? Yeah, definitely. Very, very interesting. It's now. Marcus, comments, thoughts? Agree, disagree? Don't be afraid yeah. to disagree with Rich. He's very nice. <laughs> and it's far away. I can disagree with him. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anything you want to say, Marcus? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so first of all, it, it, it's related to what, what, Rich, what you said before on um, on the diversification. So it's it's a bit. Um, I think the reason why the pandemic has speed this up is is really that well, the traditional businesses have or t- traditional parts of the business have been uh, decline declining and during the pandemic. So the companies needed to more focus on the, the new way. And, um, and and the second topic, I, and I think that is not directly related to the pandemic, uh, is that, uh, well, EV is now, well, it's turning up um, as a, well, uh, a real bet. Yeah, before we, we, especially in Europe, we had a lot of discussions about it. Will it really be EV in the future or will it be, well, hydro, cars or whatever is it is it uh, what will be a real the new, new real um, engine type and um, now ev seems to have won the race yeah and, and it's it's going clear in the, that direction and during the pandemic companies um yeah use the use the situation to to well focus a lot more into that um on that area um i think 
specifically for Europe, this is not really not new. So, so a lot of companies I work with have started investing a lot um, in, in uh, research and development uh, already 10 to 20 years ago in, in, in those areas. So a lot of European um, suppliers, um, they, they typically operate on very low margins, specifically family owned and, and uh, some of them are owned by foundations and, and they, they operate on low margins, but, but they usually spend um, most of all companies in the world in, in research and development. I think for Germany, the German supplier market has invested 5.6% 5, 5 um, in, in, in research and development in, in 2019 or something. And uh, for example, Chinese uh, state-owned um, uh, companies, they... they they used to be operating on, in, at around two to three percent. So, the the market the traditional suppliers are much more innovative than you than you would think um, about them. So, this is not really new. But what what the pandemic has def definitely done is that they they focused on those new technologies a lot more, and now the the share of their revenue is much higher on, on, in in those areas. Thank you, Marcus. Interesting. Rich, anything you want to say back? We have time. We have seven minutes left. I want to squeeze in one more topic. Rich, you good? Uh, I would just relate that back to Marcus's opening statement of customers, or not customers, I'm sorry, companies that have existed for 50 or 75 or even 100 years. Uh, if they mm -hmm. can't make this pivot, they're, they're just not going to be here. And, and that's, uh, you know, it's the, the name of the game, I guess. Dead end. Ooh. I, I was going to say toast, but dead end is more appropriate. We're talking automotive here. Marcus, one more statement. Let's see if we can squeeze this in. Customer centricity, you say, besides sustainability and intelligent industry, the third megatrend that will shape the industry's next decade is the need for customer centricity. So which customers are we talking about, Marcus? Are we talking about the supplier's customers? Are we talking about the automotive, the dealer's customers? Who are we talking about? What level or all? Well, that is exactly the point. I think those will be the same in the future. So, in in the past, in the past, in the past, we we have been talking. Suppliers had just one one customer, then that or a, lot, a few of them. So the companies they have delivered to that that have that has been their customer. Um, sometimes maybe the OEM where the part is um, be used at the end, but that's it. With uh, with new technologies and also with with those more service and software driven um, products they they create, they they now get. Well, they, they they get more direct access to the end customer, the driver of the car. So maybe, uh, uh, well, a uh, supplier of a of an entertainment system maybe has uh, delivered services um, in future to to their to the client or the driver of the, of the car. And this is something completely new. This is uh, has never been there before, um, and that that is why we see customer centricity as as one of the the, the key topics, the key megatrends uh, for the future. Um, I, I think and that has been a really consequence in this. Today we have we have released a new uh, point of view. Um, uh, we called it sustainable mobility, and uh, those this point of view um, is introducing a new concept, which I found really interesting. Um, that um, that uh, a new concept of a sustainable experience management framework. Ooh. So meaning that meaning that uh, sustainability is not only a, a key topic on on its own, but it's 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 um, it's depending on how sustainability is experienced by the driver and by the customer of the car, and um, well, there's a well, there's a well, two two areas behind that, and, and we, we call it customer customer experience, user experience, social experience, and enhanced experience for the grant credibility. And this is a very interesting 
topic and, and talk because I think that's that's a completely new area. Yeah, we see we, we have always seen um, the supplier just as a well delivering parts. That's it, and and mm -hmm. uh, customer experience is part of or is as a task for the OEM. That's and I think this paradig paradigm is is shifting. It's not um, well. At least there are new business models also for the suppliers to the end customer. Thank you. Very interesting perspective. Rich, thoughts? I can give you about two minutes and then we're going to wrap. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't have said that any better myself. I mean, I think it's it's ultimately a huge way of, uh, you know, the future of monetizing automotive is is that exactly. Uh, I, I would take it maybe a little bit different direction as well as we talk about customer centricity and and we look at how OEMs are having to uh, increase sort of the, the features and options on vehicles to attract new customers and get customers to change from, from vehicle A to vehicle B or brand A to brand B. How does that impact suppliers? Well, the more complex you make things, the more difficult it is to manufacture and supply those things, especially when you look at complex assemblies like seats or cockpits all of those things have wires underneath them. And those wires are very specific to the applications and the components that are in them. And by increasing the, the customer centricity, increasing the options, the features, the value you can provide to the customer up front, downstream, you increase, increase the complexity and the amount of uh, manpower and, and machine power it takes to actually deliver those components to meet that customer centricity demand. So that it flows downstream, uh, definitely. And, and it's, it's costly to do that. So that's why suppliers are looking elsewhere for, for streams of revenue. Very interesting. We barely have enough time for predictions, but I don't want to skip that. So if I give you each one sentence with one comma, one semicolon, and one long dash, that's it. Marcus Scherbaum, one prediction on where this is all going. Veet, veet, fast, as they say in French. Go. I have not counted the, the commas, but well. <laughs> <laughs> what I would I don't know if this requires a crystal ball, but um, let me say it this way. I think sustainability will be the key topic um, for the next ten years in the, in the industry. This will drive a lot of topics, if not everything, and it, this will change the industry again. Thank you, Rich Lindau. One sentence. What's your prediction? Yeah, I, the this, the shakeups and consolidation in the space are going to continue. Uh, I think we're going to see more high-tech manufacturing come to places like the U.S. and Germany away from maybe lower cost. Uh, and then ultimately, new entrants and then unique partnerships that automotive suppliers are making are going to lead the way for the next five to 10 years. And I predict that the industry will become more exciting for younger entrants in the workforce. I didn't say age-wise, but younger meaning with less experience. I'm going to keep that wide open. I don't know whether they'll be millennials, whether they'll be boomers like me, but people will find it very, very interesting and exciting. On that note, I want to say thank you to my two very special guests, Marcus Sherbaum. What a wonderful panelist you've been. So engaging and engaged. Rich Lindau, same, always wonderful to see you. Thank you to Ashwin Manapali at SAP for inviting both of you. Ruth Peters, thank you. For, oh, she dropped. Okay, Ruth, thank you for dropping in on us. And I want to thank my engineer, Aaron Keller, and the Business Channel team at Voice America Radio. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car still has a combustion engine. I still have the keys and I'm getting two months to the gallon now. How about that? So go out and be a game changer today, just like Marcus, just like Rich Lindau. Have a great day, everybody. Wave goodbye. Stay smart, stay safe, stay savvy. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. 
Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.